Wait, where is everybody? What do you mean, where am I? I'm right here. I'm right here, guy. But a guy. You see? Mm. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 52 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web tube cleaner. And I'm Sam, and I make art. <laughs> and today is May 31st? Question mark? 2016? Uh, yeah, are there 31 days in May? Probably. There's anywhere from 28 to 30, unless it's a leap year. So yeah, then who there could knows? be 32, I think is how that works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, we have a warning, which is anything could happen on this show. Probably profane, well, definitely profanity. And some uh, any other, you know, potential horrors. Violence. So, so uh, this show should not be listened to by children. So if you're a child, get out. What's in the news, guys? Well, uh, I think... You just kind of blew right past the fact that this is episode 52. Well, I I thought about it, but because it's important because that's a whole year. That's a year of podcasts. It is. But but it's also the case that we've definitely missed like, I think, six or seven weeks. So I think we hit the year mark two months ago. Yeah, but nobody has to know that. True. Well, I'll edit that part out. Yeah, if well, someone was to to listen to our pod, if someone wanted to listen to our podcast starting right now, listen to one episode a week. Well, first of all, they behind. would get one new one. <laughs> but but even if they didn't, if we stopped making this podcast right now, you would have an entire year of podcast to listen to. That's pretty crazy, man. You'd have fifty two hours of podcast to listen to. That's well, a I lot of hours. We want to do a little celebratory thing where we cut all of the little beginning weirdness that happens before the show starts and slice them all together for. The one year sort of look back uh, so everybody can remember the insane entrances to all the podcasts. (laughs) One thing I would like to do is splice those all together and then have a uh, like a flash animator make a a YouTube video out of them. That would be completely insane. (laughs) (laughs) Three and seven seconds. Amazing. Oh. How would we? That sounds like such an enormous pain in the ass. Would we? Would we just hire Fat Bard to do it? (laughs) I think so. He's a sound guy. He's a sound guy. So he, does. he could he could handle it. I bet he could do it in eight minutes. Probably easy. The worst part will just be downloading all of the things and opening them. Yeah, fifty two sound files. He he's got a way to do that. He has ways. Yeah, but otherwise we've just been uh, nothing. Nothing major has happened in the past week, other than so we've wrapped up our hiring process, and we'll have some more uh, news about that probably next week in the next week's podcast. For now, we're keeping it hush hush while we let things settle. Um, and otherwise, we've been uh, we've been trying to get up early. Why? Why? Why would we do that? Wait, I haven't started this yet. Yeah, Adam. Adam, Adam missed the start. Adam missed the memo, <laughs> and that there wasn't one. There um, wasn't a memo. Well, also, my wife is is on her last night of working nights for the past four goddamn weeks. Mm. So my schedule has been all kinds of fucked up. Yeah, people who are interested in getting into the medical profession become uninterested. Yeah, because <laughs> it's it's not ideal for anything. Uh, well, how was your getting up process this morning, Seth? Mine was good. I, I discovered so I had I've had a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning uh, for for months now, and I couldn't understand why because I used to get up pretty early, and I finally realized what it is. And it's that I switched my alarm on my clock. I, my, uh, I, there's like a smart alarm feature on my phone where it does like a fade in, Mm. you know? And I was, and I was like, maybe I should try that so that I don't get sort of like jarred awake in the morning by some kind of shrieking sound. (laughs) And (laughs) so it's just like this fade in. Yeah. So it's this nice, smooth fade in. And, and I just could never get out of bed in the morning. And so one day I was just over this past weekend, I was like, you know what? I really want to start getting up early again because I feel like there's a lot of value in that. So how early are you talking here? Like six, six o'clock. And so instead of like seven 30 or, you know, yeah, for me, basically if you get up at six o'clock or after, then it's the next day and you're fine. If you get up at any, even the merest moment before 6 a.m., it just... Yeah, I feel count. like Your I feel like pre-6 a.m. is still technically night, even yes. though I think the sun comes up at 5.30. Um, Sometimes. Yeah, so my strategy then was I went through my list of alarms on my phone, and I found the one that was the most horrible to listen to, uh, and it is a nightmare. I played it for Sam today, and he was like, <laughs> I want to kill myself. It's uh, atrocious. Do you put yeah. it across the room, or just... No, I just put it right next to my head, and <laughs> so it's just like, 
So there's no more fade in. It's just like immediately just this horrible piercing noise. Because so the idea is you want to get jump started with a with a bolt of panic and yes, you have to panic. Adrenaline. You got to panic out of bed and be like, "How do I make this noise stop?" That's like that should be your first thought of the day. Have you also stuck uh, the? Is it the same program that has math? You can do the like math. Oh god. oh god! Why would you do that to yourself? I did that it for a like- while. <laughs> I oh, would do that, except I'm waking up a half hour earlier than my wife, and if I was, like, struggling to solve a math <laughs> problem while this thing is shrieking and she's trying to sleep for an extra half an hour, that would be that would be marriage strife material. Yeah. yeah. That's actually one of the biggest struggles I find with, with waking up in a consistent time, because Jenny's schedule is so weird that she doesn't have a consistent wake up. It's, always, it's usually early. But it varies tremendously in just how early it is. It can range from like 5 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. And yeah. and she always gets up when she has to because she can sleep really easily. She can wake up really easily. Like none of this is a problem for her. But I need to have a re- you know religious wake-up schedule for it to work. Otherwise, I feel like shit. Mm. And have so you tried that, the horrifying alarm? Have I you tried, tried what? Have you tried the horrifying alarm screech? No, it's, I've, it I've gets been using you out of the bed. fade in. Um, the, the horrifying does... But the problem is, uh, is I always, I don't know. I always feel worse when I wake up really fast. Yeah. Well, alarms don't don't wake you up in any sort of way that's conducive to you, uh, waking up smoothly. That's because it's, I think it's about when you wake up in your, in your REM sleep cycle. So alarms just rip you right out of it, no matter where you are, which is very bad. But my favorite part about this is this morning. So I started doing this as of today and my fiance sleeps like a rock, but then she has a very, she wakes up every day at 6.30 a.m. without an alarm. Just, that's just how she does Like it. a machine. Like a machine. Doesn't matter if she went to bed at like 3.30 in the morning or 11 or 8 p.m., she'll wake up at exactly the same time. And so I set my alarm, I totally, you know, glazed over this fact and set my alarm for 6. And it goes off at 6 and it's screaming across the room. And I forgot how loud I'd put it on. And then also the fact that it was literally on the other side of the room. So I go leaping out of bed, run over to the dresser, slap, like, you know, trying to thumb this thing to get it to turn off, finally get it off. And then I go and I'm just quietly brushing my teeth. And Diana rolls over. I hear her rustling. And then she's like, why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Because she got woken up. the right question. Yeah, she got woken up half an hour early. And she can't go back to bed once she wakes up. She's not one of those people. She's like up, she's ready to go, and it's go time. What do you mean one of those people? I've never heard of that kind of person. I've heard of it. <laughs> well, she's that that person. I she's guess. that one person one who person is capable of doing that. Who wakes up and is like, well, I'm awake now. Yeah. That's it. So the deal is done. It's uh, it's going to be a bit of a rough transition for all of us, you know, spouses included, apparently. <laughs> but, yeah, but man, yeah, getting I up, get, that, that extra... The morning is a magical time. It is. Because nobody can distract you from stuff, right? Like, yeah. especially that sort of, you know, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. window where no businesses are open. Nobody's sending emails, you know, to you from the bank or God knows where, you know, to hassle you for whatever reason. Uh, so you could just you could just do stuff. Well, we even had the benefit of well, it was 1130 and... <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm hungry. You know, it's about right. It's an hour earlier than usual. I'm like, oh, I'm super hungry. So Seth and I go to Chipotle down the street and there's nobody there. Nobody there. And then as soon as we get finished with our food at about 12. 400 people in line. Yeah. There's a line <laughs> a mile long. I was like, wow, this is great. You're just, you're, you're not so out of tune with everybody. Like I was when I did that, that freaking Uberman sleep schedule thing. Yeah, that was that, dumb. I think we talked that about like, that in a prior episode. We have. We, you're not so out of sync with everybody that it's like oppressive to your general social nature uh, or your ability to get things done, but you're out of tune enough that you essentially, you get to, you get to kind of get to win a little bit more. It seems like. So, so we're, we're transitioning into this uh, eight to four work window instead of nine to five. And that, that one hour shift is, I don't know, man, it's good. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Because that first hour is so much more productive because you beat you you're like you're able to beat the traffic, but I feel like the whole uh, thing is more, literally the whole thing is more productive, right? Because you beat traffic, you're up an hour earlier than everybody else, so you have a bit more quiet time. So you don't have to wait in line for done. lunch. Yeah, you don't. You get to skip the line for lunch, <laughs> and then you go home. And there's no rush hour traffic, and you, yeah, you go and home at nice four, and, and you have an you have an extra hour in your evening now. You got an extra hour of daylight to enjoy. Yeah, something about it. But I think so also good. when you get up early, even if you feel. Like, so like in my case, when I wake up early, I'd always feel like shit. 
Actually, when I wake up, I always feel like shit, just period. When I, get up, <laughs> when I get up earlier, that doesn't really help that situation. But what it does do is it takes away the feeling of also being lazy, right? So like when mm. I get up, like when I just kind of like slowly let myself get up around, you know, 8.30 or 9, uh, I just, you know, I feel like crap anyway, but then I like, you know, I have it's slowly like gotten out of bed. I probably laid in bed for 15 minutes. Yeah, um, well, you've started off your day just... Wrong. Lazily, yeah. yeah. But and if so I have to, so get you up have that for, momentum, exactly. But I have to get up for like a you know six a.m. flight or something. Then yeah, like I have to get up at like four thirty in that case or five, you know, to, to prepare for that. And and somehow, even though it was a horrible experience, it actually makes my whole day feel like I got a lot of stuff done and I, I get to feel productive the whole time. Well, there's also that thing you get to say to yourself where you can you can look at your clock and you'd be like, oh my god. It's like ten o'clock in the morning, and I've been a I've been doing stuff for six hours already. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to put in a whole work day before everybody else has even gone to lunch yet. Yeah, it's it's a good feeling. Then you Is feel it, like then you feel like you know what I could probably call it a day now because I've put in a shitload of quality time, right? Quality productive time, and now I can just uh, just relax for a little while. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's good. Yeah, because well, we don't have much. For, evenings are for just wasting time because you just. Nobody wants to do anything in the evening. Your brain's not functional. Yeah. Come on. Yep. Nothing, nothing. I think 2 p.m. is basically the cutoff where where things start to deteriorate for people mm-hmm. yeah. mentally. Because right? you've had you've had lunch, your first dose of caffeine is wearing off, so you have to boost it back up, but your brain has kind of gone into a decrepit, shriveled state from it's like a raisin. The first round. <laughs> yeah. It's a brainzen. <laughs> anyway. Let's get to the questions. Yeah, we no. got a ton of questions, and we don't really have a lot of news. That's about all the news. The news is week. we're waking up early. Great news. That and is fabulous. Uh, we're going to separate into the questions. We've got a bunch of them, and they're they're very very good this week. So we're going to try we're going to try to tackle as many as we can. And yeah. With that, I think the the first one that I want to dive into is actually a general question from Alan Falcon, who asks: Do men or women have more brothers? Okay. Before we get into this. So, so Adam and I did some did some figuring to figure this out before. I did not do any figuring. So I want to hear Sam. I want to hear what you think. Okay, so let's take let's take the average household, right? Two kids situation. Assuming mm-hmm, sure. there's a slightly higher probability of males being born, which I think there is, like fifty percent. The other way around, but sure, it's women. Yeah, it's 51% women. At least the last number I saw. But here's the thing. Who gives a fuck? Let's just ignore it and call it 50-50. All right, 50-50. Sure. Because so, to me, it's about sort of the spirit of the of the question, the probability question, more than it is about the, you know, tiny specifics, specifics of what the problem sure. is. Actually. So, so if we're men or like women have more brothers? A normal family is two kids, right, on average. And there's a, there's a, there's a thing here, which is that if you're – if it's a 50-50 shot, right, so we're going to assume then that on average there's one boy and one girl. Uh, if you're the – if you're the woman, you have a brother. If you're the brother, you don't have a brother, right? Because you are the brother. Right. So you you sort of consume the statistic because you're the man. You ate the brotherness. You ate the brotherness. <laughs> ate so the my brother. guess would be that women have more brothers because men essentially don't count one That person. was also my guess. Okay, listen to this. But you're wrong. Let's say what? Right. Okay, so let's say there are there are two children in a typical household, okay? okay? Or in an average household. So we're assuming this is representative of the whole population. Sure. Well, actually we should we should take a step back and say if there are zero children it doesn't matter. If there is one child it also doesn't matter because your chance of being right, you have a to boy have or a girl right. as one child is 50/50 and you can't have a brother in either case. Right. So this only applies to households of two two, two or more children. So okay. we'll start at, we'll start at the case of two. All right, so there are four potential combinations of children here, mm-hmm. right? Either you have a boy, then a girl, mm-hmm. a boy, then a boy, a girl, then a boy, or a girl, then a girl, right? Right. Okay, so in situation, in the, in the girl-girl situation, zero, zero boys have brothers, zero girls have brothers, right? right. In, the, in the two scenarios where either you have a girl, then a boy, or a boy, then a girl, mm-hmm. uh, there's, it's equal. Right. Right. One brother each. Yeah. Well, no. Right, the, zero, each each right. girl in those each situations has one brother, and the boys have zero brothers. Correct. And it, so that's two. So that's two of the four scenarios where a girl has a brother, and the other situation is two brothers. Each brother has one brother, right. so that's also two. Right. So it's even. Yep. So you're saying it's just even? Yeah. It's, the, it's, even. It, it's an the equal probability. probability. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because if you assume 50%, so there's a 50% chance of each, right? 50% of households will have a a girl and a, and a boy because of the way that that either, either the girl first and then the boy or the boy first, then the girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's half of households. And in those cases, the girl has a brother. And in the 25% case, uh, both boys have one brother. So this reminds yeah. me of Adam, Adam and I were talking in a coffee shop when he was here about the benefits of using a coin to make a tricky probability decision. Mm. Do you remember this, Adam? The benefits of using a coin? I don't remember that part of the discussion. Well, yeah, so we're talking about how if you have a if you have a something like the uh, uh, the Monty Hall problem, right? Where you got thirty three percent chance upon opening to give a door, blah blah blah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, Adam. I know that yeah. part. Yeah. So the question was, if it's the case that you're confronted with a situation in which you have two options, uh, but there's an imbalance in, in uh, like a 60% chance for one, say, and a 40% chance for the one that you want, is it the case that you're better off flipping a coin in order to decide? Uh, I think it depends on if you're if you're going theoretical, if you're going simulation, maybe. But here's another question. Hmm. What happens if there's three children? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did, we figured this one out too. It's the same. Huh, still, yeah. still even. But it's interesting yeah. because I'm pretty sure I heard some, and it may have been a different formulation of this question, but I remember hearing some question that was like this, where your intuition would say one thing, but it was, it was totally different. But I don't, I don't think it was this case of like them being equal, equal cases. And so I'm trying, try, I couldn't think of what the formulation yeah. of that question would be that would do it. But I well, think I'd say probably in a more realistic sense, considering 51% of children are women and women also have a longer life expectancy than right. men do. Mm-hmm. Then wait. So you mean have living brothers? Yeah. Yes. I, I assume no, if are alive and have <laughs> <laughs> have more living uh, brothers. Yeah. I mean, if you get into like the details of people's lives and, and that kind of stuff, and, and I think also there's probably a different probability if somebody has a boy first versus a girl first of if they also then have another kid, and there, there's probably all these other kinds of things involved because of social nonsense that that happens um, that may skew this. But that's just a bunch of shenanigans. That's just a bunch of nonsense. Who cares? All right, move on to the next question. It's from Griffin962, who asks, what are your opinions on how Google handles publishing on the Play Store versus how Apple handles it on the App Store? Ooh, this is going to get controversial. We love how both of them do it. Uh, Please keep featuring us. (laughs) Yeah, but here's an interesting question. Hmm. So in both... so. So uh, basically, I think it's a question of they're both very open, right? Pretty much anybody can publish stuff on yep. Google Play. Anybody price, can publish stuff on price Apple. of entry is very low on both. Yep, um, and it's not per game; it's per year. Per mm-hmm. year, yep. Uh, the price is a little bit lower on Google Play, but there's an interesting kind of uh, a difference in approach to to sort of malicious content on on iTunes on the on the App Store. Um, the content goes through a screening process before it goes on. And on Google Play, things just get reported after the fact. Hmm. So that makes it so that it's it's much more immediate and much easier to put something up on Google Play because nobody's going to check it, right? Uh, and on, on the App Store, there's a waiting period where your stuff has to get screened. So I think, and, and it weirdly kind of works out okay in both cases, there's definitely more uh, more crappy stuff on like the new section of the Google Play. But when you actually look in just like the main section of Google Play, it's fine, right? Like all the bad stuff gets reported and removed eventually. So yeah, I think, I think there's, there's uh, kind of a misconception that the that the App Store has better apps because of that filtering process. But the important thing to know is that they're actually not filtering for quality of the app. They're only trying to screen out things that porn are porn and rule breakers. Yeah, yeah, that are that are that break their rules and, and that's it. I mean, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of garbage on both. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think the question I have is if you were to try to also set a bar for quality, how would you go about it? Yeah, I have no idea. So even Steam, uh, you know, they have the green light process yeah. and pe- people are getting more and more sort of, I don't, know, I don't know if I'd say agitated or whatever, but but Steam users are getting more and more kind of bummed out about more like the, I think apathetic, actually. Yeah, just about the overall quality of stuff that is creeping through the green light process. Mm hmm. 
Um, so having that kind of voting system seems to not necessarily even work. Well, you know, well, it'd be really well, interesting. No, I, it works a hell of a lot better than having nothing. It, it, okay, yeah, it works better than nothing, but it doesn't necessarily not just better, work well. Way better. I mean, even because like, yeah, it's true that Steam users are getting annoyed because stuff is like the the quality bar is kind of slowly going down. But if you still look at that quality bar, like the the worst games on Steam and the number of those bad games versus the stuff that's on mobile. I mean, it's not even comparable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very different stuff. But I think maybe an interesting model would be something like uh, using basically Google's Google's approach to that policy violation rule, which is like, we'll wait, we'll let it publish and then wait for people to report it, essentially. If it was the case that after, say, 100 uh, plus reviews or something like that of your app on one of the app stores, if it didn't achieve above a certain rating, that they would nuke your game from Oracle. Yeah, the problem there, though, is that people don't use now the players get talk about yeah, calling you get, the game. Yeah, that, that actually gives the players more of a hammer to wield against developers. Yeah, players yeah. already have actually too much power in that context. Because <laughs> I didn't say it was a good idea. It, it is an idea. It was an idea. Yeah. Well, this explains, I mean, a lot of this kind of, it exposes how difficult it is to bring quality content. And I remember um, when the green light process first appeared, Valve had a rule that you had to pay $100 to put your game onto green light. And at the time there was a huge backlash from players who were declaring that this was anti-indie developer um, because huge studios who wanted to use green light, you know, a hundred dollars is no problem, but you've got you know, Joe Schmo over here made his one game by himself and he doesn't have a hundred dollars to put his, his game up on green light. So this is anti-developer. And then it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where somebody can make a full game of quality and, and also, also isn't be able capable to somehow <laughs> save a hundred dollars over yeah. a long period of time because yeah, it takes yeah. to make a good game at minimum, you're talking a handful of months. Right. More likely, you're talking about some number year. of years. And if you can't set aside 18 set aside, cents a day or something. Yeah, exactly. It, to me, I find I find that a, a really uh, just flat out wrong kind of argument. Because I, I think we, when we've talked about this internally a bit in the past for for all the stores, the the barrier, it's, it's, it is really nice on the one hand that the barrier is low. It's, I mean, it's actually great because that's that's the reason that people can get their foot in the door. The The main problem with that is that what you end up getting a lot of in that case, because the barrier is so low, is on mobile, you see a lot of these sort of like clones of games that there, there are companies who just produce basically every week a clone of an existing top chart game. Right. And that's their thing. They're, they're just polluting the shit out of the stores with these garbage knockoffs of existing games. And uh, I don't lots know if it's even companies that do this. Not even like a company thing, but individuals making clones of successful games. Yeah, individuals remember, do it too. There are companies that do it. There are individuals that do it. There's yeah. a, but, but, but what I'm talking about is on the, the scale of – and then there are you know students and hobbyists and people who are kind of learning and getting into the scene that put their prototypes basically up in the stores. Right. And With no intention to to make a commercial product, they're exactly. just like and I made a game key. and I put it up. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with making f- making things that are just freely available. The thing is, if if your business model allows you to do that, and then you put your stuff in a place where there are actually businesses competing with each other, then it basically what you're doing is diluting space. the market in yeah. a in a way that's actually bad for mm. everybody else. So, so they have I like a, personally like a think commercial sale checkbox. Or something versus well, the thing is, like, because most people don't do it, and 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 I would, you would be hard pressed to find a game of quality, or I guess a, games of quality, you know, with any number of them that are a hundred percent absolutely free, right, in every way, shape, and form. Um, because who the hell would do that? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah. I personally think that there should be. Uh, a threshold to get in, which is some, and not even super realistic, but some sort of intention of, of having your thing be a commercial product because that, that changes the attitude of developers coming in and it, and it filters out the stuff that was never intended to be sold that just kind of fills up the space and makes it harder for everybody who is trying to sell something to get people to be aware of their stuff because they're competing in this background of infinite free, just okay or bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been of the opinion that that some uh, financial hurdle should be there on a per game basis of like twenty dollars or something, yeah. um, which isn't an astronomical amount of money, but it's it's enough because I know that uh, like fifty percent of games that go up on 
or at least this was the case a couple of years ago, the last I heard about it. Um, but over half of games that go up don't get downloads. They don't, they don't make, make they money. don't make nothing happens with them. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the idea here is you want, like as a player, you want a better selection of quality games, right? And as a developer, you want less competition. So by having some kind of a uh, of a hurdle for people to jump over, that's basically them putting their money where their mouth is as a developer and saying, I believe that this thing has the capacity to make at least $20 so that I can... <laughs> Right. So that I can recoup my my investment of putting it up on the store, right? Yeah, and yeah. most uh, games still won't recoup that, but if because then if you're the kind of person who just wants to make your game available for free and and that's that's it, then you've already contributed hundreds of hours of your time, right? What's what's twenty bucks on top of that, right? In terms of your investment in the thing, and in t- and for uh, indie devs or solo devs uh, or you know teenagers who are making a cool app for their first time and want to put it on the store. Um, that cost isn't actually prohibitive and it, and then it prevents all these things like the, the spam, um, the spam apps that, that certain companies and individuals put out as well. Right. Yeah. I remember when we first put up a quadrupus rampage, we were competing with, with touch girl, touch boob and boob smasher. Yeah. And they put a sandwich between those two. Yeah. And, and I mean, of course they got pulled down, uh, but it took a week for them to get pulled down, which was about the amount of time that we were on the charts alongside those things. Right. right? And so, so if somebody went looking down the charts, trying to find an interesting, you know, action RPG or something, they're also scrolling past touch girl, touch boob. We should also girl toucher, boob toucher. (laughs) We should also explain what touch girl, touch boob was. It was an app where you're looking at, cartoon cleavage if i recall correctly 3d there were 3d breasts. Uh, 3d even yeah. no this was boob smasher you're thinking of. Boob, oh, yeah okay. so in boob smasher so then it smat the character smashes its boobs together and your goal is to like tap in between them without getting your finger crushed but, but an ad will but appear. an ad will randomly <laughs> appear sometimes so that when you go to not get your finger crushed you accidentally click on an ad and therefore make money for the developer it's pretty, so that's the kind of pretty shit, gross all around, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. It gross in every way it could be, and that's the kind of shit you have to compete with because of the fact that there is no... Because without a doubt, that game... Actually, that game probably made tens of thousands of dollars. Probably. So having yeah. a $20 barrier to entry would not have stopped it. Would not have stopped that way game. Way fewer <laughs> that game specifically. But there are many games like that, and most of them fail completely. And so the risk of putting something out there like that... Um, because it's, it wasn't likely that they would have made 20 bucks off of it. For some reason, people were just really into that concept at the time we launched Quadrupus <laughs> Rapid. Uh, so so that you're going to see just a lot less of that stuff because then the financial risk isn't worth it, even though it's actually a very, very low financial risk. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because I, I, just to kind of wrap that up, though, um, I mean, I think Steam was onto something with their $100 to put your game up on green light and, you know, everybody had the gut reaction to it. And now we're kind of seeing the consequences of not having any kind of seriousness barrier. Right. Um, yeah. That's something I'd like to see more of. Yeah. And, and this is probably another good, you know, lesson that often you should just absolutely not pay attention to what the, what the loud the people general public, public say. Oh, yeah. The loud public says. Yeah. Yeah. Because their, their gut reactions to be angry about stuff. Um, Anytime you do something that can be perceived as somehow being too commercial or a, or a privacy violation or all kinds of any number of things, even right. if they actually make the most sense for what you're trying to do and are and are actually the best thing for the community as a whole, once people actually understand fully what it's doing and why it's designed that way. Um, so often people, uh, you know, so often devs try to backtrack and undo stuff that they're trying to do with game design or with business plans or whatever because of a bunch of loud people who are angry about it. And as a consequence, everybody everybody pays up, for it. Everybody pays for it in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so you got to really understand why you're doing things. And if someone criticizes it, that's fair and you should probably listen, but try to understand exactly if their criticism is valid or if it's just their normal gut reaction to a thing they don't actually understand. Right. All right. Next question mm. comes from frog underscore ninja who asks Superman, why is he so difficult to make a game out of? Superman fucking sucks because he's infinitely overpowered. <laughs> well, so that Superman is a balance. Saw, he's a walking balance problem. He's a so walking saw, balance problem. Uh, X-Men on Saturday. Seth and I went and saw it. Yep. And first of all, very good, actually. I loved the crap out of it. 
Um, but I think the there's a really fun feel to the X-Men movies because everybody, nearly everybody, has like aid ability, right? Yeah. It's not like Superman where you're invincible, plus you shoot lasers out of your face, plus you can move super fast, plus you're super strong, etc. Um, <laughs> everybody has like one of those things. And as a result, what that means is that any given problem usually has a creative and unique solution that involves a lot of people. Because like they, they have to teamwork. System. Yeah, it's a class-based system. And so, you know, in one part, they have, they <laughs> yeah, have Nightcrawler exactly. in there, and Nightcrawler is jumping people, uh, like, in and out of an airplane while, like, shit is going going crazy. And at the very end, he has to, he has to like, is he going to be able to jump everybody at once? I don't know. You know, that's one of those big sort of moments for him. But his only ability is to jump people. I guess it's that teleportation thing. Also, um, he's blue. He's blue. But I think the, the problem with Superman is exactly actually what you start seeing in uh, the recent Avengers movie and the Captain America movie that just came out too, which is that they've made it to a point where there's so much power available on for these characters to take advantage of that there's no way to present them with a really interesting challenge such that it's enjoyable to watch yeah, it or in the case of Superman that it's enjoyable to play because like Adam was saying there, how do you balance Superman? You don't. You need you to nerf ba- Superman well, before you can enjoy the Flash, it. which I've also complained about yeah. in the prior <laughs> episode, right? It's when you when you make these completely overpowered characters, the only thing you can do to add something that feels like a conflict, because if you're just overpowered, it's the same as cheating, right? Nothing's actually a conflict or a difficulty. You just go crush a and, thing. And interesting stories come from adversity. Yeah, yep. and so which, that means that the adversity you have to introduce is garbage adversity. It's not like fun problem it's solving. It's usually like here's false. Yeah, it's like here's the only skill you have access to. Now go solve this puzzle using that skill like what X-Men uses, right? It's instead you can literally solve any problem at any time. So as we long to, as you can punch it to death. remove that <laughs> yeah. capability from you arbitrarily by making you sad right now or something, right? Right. Um, or whoops, there was some kryptonite. Now you're a normal person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with you, normal you have person to, problems. You have to generate some just stupid mechanism by which to basically take away the cheat codes that you've permanently given somebody. Um, yeah. So that that would be my answer. Yeah, Superman is a balance problem in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, and if you watch shows like Arrow or Daredevil, um, or even uh, Jessica Jones, actually, it's it's cool because these are these are these are heroes who either they have some kind of, you know, special ability uh, or they don't even have that. They're just like really good with an arrow or with a bow or something like that. Um, but otherwise, they're just kind of regular people. And so they're trying to deal with the stuff that a, a superhero deals with, but they're also very vulnerable all the time. And that that actually creates really interesting stories. Oh, yeah. Not somebody who can get, you know, thrown 400 miles and smash through every office building in New York City <laughs> and then get up and be like, dang it. Like, that's not <laughs> yeah. it's, you, you don't have problems if that's you. <laughs> <laughs> nope. All right. Next question comes from Kevin 888. And he asks, do you have to play a lot of games in order to make good games? And as a broader question, is general knowledge of classics and the aware- and awareness of the modern necessary? What do you guys think? <laughs> I would. I think we should include his parenthetical at the end. He's, of that. Yeah, he's very proud of him. So he said that was a well phrased question. I am proud of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> We're proud of um, you, Kevin. I would say actually no. I agree. I think. I think. You don't need to play a lot of games to make good games. I think you need to make a lot of games to make good games. Like you, you need to play enough games to sort of understand what players might expect in terms of the way things are talked about and the way things are presented to them. Because if you reinvent everything from the ground up and in a really, really unfamiliar way that people can't figure out how to interface with... You have a problem. So it's good to get a sense of just the general kinds of systems and interface and presentation that people know. Yeah, there are lots Um, of conventions that will make your life a hell of a lot easier if you use because players will already know what you're going for. Yeah, but once you have that, you should just make games because there's a lot more to there's a lot more to learn by making games than than there is by playing them. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Well, I think, and but we also we we routinely take time to go and and uh, like play a new thing to see how they handle various systems or stuff like that to get to either get inspiration or even just uh, what you might call like a competitive advantage to see where where games like the ones that we want to build have basically fallen short or what the general complaints are about them and then to figure out ways to mitigate those to make a, just a better title overall. Um, so th- there's I think once you start making good games, 
then you can make even better games by playing other games. Yeah, it, well, right. I think that's exactly it. Is is just playing games is not sufficient because you need to be playing it while paying attention to all the different aspects of the game design that makes the game enjoyable or or not enjoyable. Yeah, and to really be able to do that effectively, you have to also be making games because that's when that that forces you to be really aware of all the problems. I mean, when it comes to things like how does the camera move as the player does. That's uh, the kind of thing of you don't even think of that as a normal person unless you have I to program go program a camera. a camera to do something. And you're like, holy shit, this is not as straightforward as I thought it would be. So <laughs> and played, then all of a sudden you go look at what everybody else does and you can learn from the models that they've chosen. Yeah, I played this game called Path of Exile, which is a free-to-play game on Steam. And it's basically Diablo. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's Diablo. Um, but they do one thing that I, I can't say that I were looking at it yesterday and examining to figure out what the problem is, but there's something with the way either the camera moves or the player moves. I think it's a combination of, of the it two. Maybe both, uh, where it feels very clunky. And I think the, the camera basically stops immediately once the player stops moving. There's no sort of, uh, there's no tween action to it. And so it's a very jarring, you know, anytime you move between camps or whatever else or between enemies, there's a sort of, you know, there's a bit of a click uh, visually. And then... On top of that, the player, instead of just instantly, say, you know, popping around the other direction, like a video game character would, it does a more realistic, the character actually takes some time to kind of, like, turn around. Well, actually, no. So this is, this is also what makes it jarring, is if you watch it closely, you'll notice that the the character in its animation takes time to turn around, but physically the character is already instantly moving the other direction. So you, you'll just, like, start moving that direction at full speed, but your character does this weird, like, rotate uh, So that's how they compensate to make it feel thing. like... Yeah, because that's one of the problems is, is animations actually... Take time. They take time. And so if you, if you want to have an animated attack sequence or something, then that, that attack has to actually use up time. If it, it can't be instantaneous, that makes it feel unsnappy, especially if you have, like, a fast platform or something. So you have to have, you have to always have to find some way to sort of cheat and make it feel like it's animated but have it not really, or you have to slow down the action. And it sounds like what they did here is they did a sort of a graphical cheat where the action is instantaneous. But the character turns around But they slowly. wanted an animation, so they turn the character slowly. And yeah. so then it turns out it, being very disorienting. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it's this kind of stuff that, that you'll identify as you start making games as like suddenly you'll be aware of all these things you just didn't even realize were things to pay things. attention to. And then at that point, I would say, yeah, once you hit that point where you're now aware of the kinds of things you need to think about, now all of a sudden playing games is probably essential mm -hmm. because yeah. now it's, you can it's, see I think it's all the different ways that people have solved the same kinds of problems that you're facing. Yeah, it's a difference from, you know, like when, if you if you played, uh, you know, football in high school or something and everybody gets together and watches the, the game footage afterwards and the coach is going through with the team and like pointing out all the different plays and who could have done what differently and blah, blah, blah. Like that's very different than just getting together with your buddies and watching the Super Bowl, right? Because like you are breaking every aspect of what you're watching down piece by piece and try to figure out how could that have been different. And it's the same thing with playing games versus as a as a player with no development experience versus being a, a developer and a designer and then going and playing and playing it with the purpose of breaking the game down into little tiny pieces and figuring out how they work. All right, this next question comes from Mitrone, who asks, any fun swimming anecdotes? Did you guys swim in a club, and what was your best stroke in time? <laughs> mm. My <laughs> best time was was not very good. I don't know what the times were, and only swimmers would give a shit anyway, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter. But yeah. I, was, I was very slow constantly. Yeah, <laughs> but you also got slower over time, depending on how long you were in the water. That is true. <laughs> I think that's true for everybody. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about fun swimming in it. We, so we swam. We, we grew up in a small town in Iowa and our high school did not have a swimming pool. And we went over to the college in our town and our whole swim team was, was able to basically set up a deal with the college where we got to use three lanes of this pool for during one hour, during one hour of public swim time. So they would allocate those three lanes to us. And uh, in order to, to minimize the impact that that would have on people who wanted to use the pool, we had to swim at the worst possible time for the public, which was six to six seven in the morning. <laughs> and it was in yeah. the winter. So uh, and we so lived, we'd have to de-ice our cars. Yeah, and we lived five miles. Country. 
Yeah, we live five miles out of town in the in the country, so we would we'd be on up an at, unplowed road. Yeah, we'd be up at five fifteen. We would uh, we would de-ice the car and start thawing things out and eat a you know maybe a bowl of Cheerios or something, and then uh, hop in and drive in the freezing negative twenty degree weather because it gets <laughs> really it gets really fucking cold up there. Oh yeah. Uh, and then we'd, yeah, then we'd all jump in a freezing cold uh, pool and, and swim for an hour. And it was, it was a nightmare. It was just, a, it was just a living nightmare. <laughs> the best part is when you'd get out of practice, you'd get showered and then you walk outside and it was cold enough that your hair would freeze just instantly, instantly. So you get to your car and it would be, your hair would be like frozen straight up because you just sort of toweled off and walk outside and you could hear it sort of crack on the, you know, the top of the car as you <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was just it was nuts. It was it was um, a nice it was a it was a kind of a camaraderie thing though because if you were walking down the hallway at school then and you saw another swimmer with their hair all fucked up, yeah, and like their skin all dry, their eyes are like they have goggle marks around their eyes <laughs> and like they look just fucking tired, you know, and like everybody else is just getting to school, right? It's like eight o'clock in well, the morning. It's like the early everybody morning else stuff is, we talked about earlier. Yeah, everybody else's day is just starting, and like you see another swimmer and you make eye contact and you're like. We've seen no. some shit. We've seen some <laughs> shit has gone down today. I think my uh, my favorite, well, two of my favorite ones from swimming anecdote-wise were Seth and I got in uh, the truck to drive to swimming, and I think it was like a month and a half in of the three-month season, and Seth grabbed the steering wheel, and his hand was so dry from the winter and from the chlorine from the pool that his fucking hand split open <laughs> as he grabbed the skin. Oh, yeah, yeah, the dry skin. That's another great. That was... <laughs> so like your, like your knuckle split or something? Yeah, yeah, the knuckle split open. Yeah, just... But then again, I mean, it's sort of a, it's the body's way of re-moisturizing itself. <laughs> by, by bleeding. By bleeding all over. It gets the... Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Had you never heard of body lotion? You maniac. Dude, come on. I mean, when you're when you're dipping yourself in chlorine for an hour a day. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much lube in the universe. Yeah, the other one is enough. Around, uh, around the holidays, because our coach was a sadist of sorts, um, we would do this thing where he'd be like, everybody in the deep end. And then we'd all be like, oh, shit. Oh, kill we'd ball? Go, well, kill ball was great. That was the fun part. But the other part was we would go and uh, circle up in the deep end, treading water. And then coach would grab a folding chair from the believers, (laughs) a metal folding chair, and hand it to someone. And you had to hold it above your head until he said that you could give it to someone else. So you could only use your feet. Yeah, you're treading water with a goddamn 10-pound metal Uh, folding chair. And it's it's harder than normal to stay up because the deep end was not a very big area. And having that many people all treading water in the same same spot makes the water very turbulent. turbulent, And you can't... Uh, get the normal sort of leverage that you can off of that your was kicks. A nightmare. Yeah, it was great. Swimming was fun. <laughs> For some reason, it was fantastic. I don't know why. Um, yeah. All right, next question again comes from uh, Griffin962, who says Last episode, you mentioned playing Rocket League with each other and Carol. Do you plan to ever invite the community to play games with you or stream games you play with each other? Ooh. We've talked about doing both of those things. Um, I guess the second one's easier to answer uh, the streaming question. Um, we we did we like we tried a couple times we just did some streaming just to see what it was like and basically what we found was given our remote working situation and the shittiness of various internet connections it was just technologically infeasible for or has been so we're gonna revisit yeah. this once we all end up in St Louis and start working out of the same space and all that good stuff um, so that's a possibility yeah uh, I think yeah with the other one in community stuff it's just yeah. kind of a question of how many slots you have so yeah because there are many more community members than there are slots in any game in the universe uh, yeah um, so I mean I I'd be super down to play rock league with people Seth Seth is so good that he will just crush your soul out of your toes <laughs> play. so you got to be aware that. It's not going to be the best time from a winning standpoint, but uh, we do have a very good time. Well, we should say on Steam, we do have a coffee with butterscotch or no butterscotch shenanigans uh, Steam Steam group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can join that thing and then and then you'll be able to find other community members and stuff. And and we're in there, too. So you can find us that way. Um, So that's kind of that's kind of the the access point to to finding us on Steam. Um, But yeah, the 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 really the tricky part here is, is, you know, how do you how do you set that up 
in a way that actually works out because of the extreme slot limitation. Well, I think there's also, there's a whole nother aspect to it, in my opinion, too, which is just that, like, what about the times when maybe I don't want to play games with anyone? Yeah, so this is actually, this is actually my concern about this kind of stuff is even though we love the shit out of our players, it's also the case that they are our customers and they have paid us for a product that they can engage with at any time. Right. And so it's possible that uh, players will want to then suddenly send us messages through steam to ask for features or to report a bug or, you know, whatever. Um, and usually if we're on steam playing a game, it's not because we, because like in a weird way by somebody sending us a message through that medium, they are making us go to work. Yeah. Right. Like not even in a weird way. That's just exactly what's yeah. happening. Like if, if your job is, you know, you go to the office nine to five, whatever, it would be as if we came to your house, put you in a car, drove you to the office and we're like, let's get to business. You well, know? no, even worse. It would be as if you were in the middle of playing video games. And we yeah. interrupted you. <laughs> and we just jumped and we're like, hey, you know that thing that you are not supposed to be doing right now because you're not How about that anymore? TPS report? Yeah, go, go do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it actually does do a, it's, it's a weird way to kind of blur the lines. And that's why we, we try to do stuff like the podcast. We do dev chats every now and then. So we try to set up different, uh, you know, kind of media that we can use to talk to our players, but not in such a way that it just creates like a permanently open channel of communication with us that is just available all the time because, you know, we, we are human beings and we do want to sort of have alone time. We want to have personal lives that exist apart from our, uh, our, our work. So, so yeah, yeah, I guess probably the idea here then is that we would have to already feel like we knew our players and some of their contacts, probably from our discord channel, for example, and already knew that they were just people who saw us as just people and, and respect our time. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I've definitely had several cases where people have, have uh, friended me on steam and then, I accepted it, and the very first thing that happened was they started asking me a load of questions about Crashlands. Um, <laughs> but but my, my strategy has been very simple, which is just to unambiguously say, uh, hey, you know, this is I'm, – I'm not at work. This is a, a work This thing, is me so relaxing. You, yeah, this is me relaxing. So if you want to ask this kind of questions, just go to our forums. Yeah, and it's crazy too because – because it's it's a very asymmetrical thing, right? Because their perspective of Crashlands is that it's a fun uh, re- relaxation activity. To like, so even them talking about it, it still kind of falls in that in that purview. Yeah, but for us, for us, it's part of our job, right? So it's a very different kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is all to say, if you want to hang out with us as human beings, you should know us. Join, super down. Join the Discord. Yeah, we'll be there. Just, uh, just join the Discord. All right, next question comes from HawksRock250. He asks, or she, not sure, not sure what flavor of hawk it is. Of you three brothers, who would take what job? Okay, here we go. President of the United States, game show host, or YouTube prankster? Oh, man. None of us would take YouTube prankster. Yeah. (laughs) I hate pranks. I feel terrible. It's just a prank, bro. It's just a prank. I feel terrible if, I think think maybe once in my life I pranked somebody a long, long time ago as a young child. I've kind of blocked it from memory because it wasn't, wasn't even a big thing, but I felt so bad about it. And yeah. I was just like, the thing never is, never again, no, never I mean, again. Pranking is just being an asshole. There's yeah. no, <laughs> well, it depends. No it, way that's, it. that's what it it's never become. depends. It's always no, no, no. just I think being it does an asshole. Because I think one of my favorite ones that I've seen on, on the YouTubes was this instant, uh, instant first date thing. Um, where there's just a guy sitting there and then I can't remember exactly how it happened. So basically he's just sitting there in like normal clothes or something. And he's just got a normal table. And then if someone chooses to sit down with him, either male or female, then like a bunch of waiters come out and they like dress the table really quick and put down some food and light a candle or something. And it's just this hilarious sort of, it's an adorable moment. And people are like, oh, this is fun. And so so it's, that's, it's a question of sort of like pulling a prank on a person it, versus, I don't know what you would call this. Well, it's like laughing at versus with someone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the difference. And I think usually it, the problem is that the definition of a prank tends to be that you just do something that puts someone in a, very uncomfortable yeah, situation. Yeah, to most people, it means be an asshole to somebody else. But here's the thing. Though. <laughs> if uh, if that person who you did this surprise date to mm-hmm. was, a, was a super introvert or had just gotten out of a really shitty relationship or whatever, right, then they, that would have caused them to oh, yeah. have a horrible, horrible experience. And then again, what have you been you being an asshole? So mm-hmm. pranks only work if they're completely... If they're, they're completely risky. harmless, but then at that point, it's just a it's joke just doing a thing. What about 
What yeah. about that Velociraptor one where the the guy uh, <laughs> they have that like full body Velociraptor thing that suit that you can wear and it basically transforms you into what looks like a like a fully like an actual freaking Velociraptor. Yeah. Um, and I think they had it. There's some. I think it was in a Japanese game show or something. Of course. Um, but there's a guy <laughs> walking around a, an office with it. And so he like would round a corner and everybody would be like, oh, my God, and just take off. <laughs> Which is hilarious, but also, yeah, same thing. Right? It's Someone's also kind guy, of a dick you know? move. Because right? it's the thing, like, when you're looking at it from the outside as a rational person, you're like, oh, well, that's completely harmless because, you know, everybody knows you dinosaurs know. aren't real, et cetera. But if you saw one. Yeah, but if you saw a fucking velociraptor around the that corner. That too lifelike. Yeah, you would fear for your life for a moment. You know? <laughs> Even though you know. Actually, and, and I think we should also always remember that there are many, many people who know a hell of a, a lot less about the world than you expect. Right. It's true. That right. true. Yeah. You know what's funny? Making somebody think that they're about to be eviscerated and then, yeah. and then consumed by an animal. that's actually what you're doing. So, again, you're just being an asshole. All right. What about, what about game show host? Um, hmm. Well, I definitely don't want to be president. I used to want to be president. Then I, why, do you, why do you not want to be president anymore? Um, cause then you got to deal with Congress every yeah. fucking day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That man, that would be the yeah. worst. So basically there's, if you're there's a prankster, nothing worse you are than an that. asshole. If you're the president of the United States, you're just, you're just dealing, dealing with an infinite deal- number of assholes. We're like 500 assholes. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, I, I look, I feel like just by sort of, uh, you know, process of elimination, I'd have to be, I have to go with the game show host. Yeah. Well, I think that's the only viable career path. Of these three. Us. Yeah. That's a pretty rough, rough deal. Although, you know, <laughs> if it was a fun game show, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, what then you could be. actually. I'm not really too familiar with TV, lives, but, you know, because maybe some people can win money on your show. Maybe they can win some fame. And if it's one where you're not also being an asshole to people, then you're, you know, bringing some good spirit to the people who watch. Yeah. Yeah. All around win. All right. Next question comes from Aid Pro, who asks, do you guys prefer mobile, PC or console games? I think PC. The- the key here, though, is they ended it with the word games. Plural. What do you mean? No, as in... It would be grammatically correct. No, no, no. Do. As in, do we care about games? Which games do we prefer? And we t- like I talked about in the past, games don't aren't platform dependent. Mm. And they shouldn't well, be. And they should stop being that. I don't know. Well, I mean, but, but they are right now. So it's a valid question, right? Not all of them. I, I mean, but because to me, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a nonsensical question, right? Because it's like saying, knowing the library of games on each of these platforms with that, of course, all have different amounts of overlap between them. Which of those collections do you prefer? I don't mm. think that makes any sense. Well, I, I think, to play on, I, I think it's a totally valid question. Yeah, to me, which, like, one you decide, which one do you prefer to play on? I think is a absolutely valid yeah question. i i prefer pc uh but i Likewise. mean I, I think i think it's actually even even from the perspective of games like there are definitely some games that are generally only found on different platforms right so mm-hmm. like candy crush is there everywhere on mobile hey candy crush came pre-installed on my windows 10 oh that's off. true yeah. that's true mine too i uninstalled it uh just for the record but um <laughs> But there, there are some games that have a really hard time existing on other platforms. And, you know, so I, I'm a, a fan of uh, EVE Online, which would be super hard to play on an iPad, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, or well, on a console. It's about, that's like specific games. Because what, what you're really saying is there are certain kinds of games or there are certain games you tend to really prefer. Yeah. And those games can only live on certain subsets of platforms. But for any, I mean... There, there are games that I also like on mobile. All of my yes. favorite games are on PC, but that's also because I grew up with PC and have a long history with it. It's um, it's an older platform. I must admit, I haven't actually gotten to sit down and play uh, play on a console in a long time. Well, to me, and a console is over... just a subset of PC. Well, no, because the, the play experience is actually very different um, because it's usually a couch, couch TV with control in your hand. And whatever to a friend's house and play, got to sit down on the couch with the controller in my hand and play video games with a big TV. And it's a very different experience. Like I actually love it. It's way more, uh, I would say games that have any sort of immersive intent to them. In my opinion, they can get a lot more out of it on console. It seems like to me, because for some reason, the whole like lounging on a couch with a particular device in your hand that you don't get to use for anything else. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's the key, right? Because you're playing that game. And that's not the, 
console that does it. It's like that that's kind of the habit that has grown around console, but that's how I that's how I play games at home. Only I stream it from my PC well, uh, most to people, my TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean as far as the like the general experience between those three different platforms, that's what the difference is, right? Yeah. PC is you're sitting at your desk with the mouse keyboard, consoles on a couch with the TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have kind of talked in the past about the the idea that um if you work from home, for example, and you play games on the very computer that you work on, then there is a potential for a sort of a to make it's to, the potential to make it more difficult for you to relax because you're still physically in your place of work and you're using the same tool and you could technically alt tab out of that game and fire up whatever you need to fire up to get more work done. Right. So there, I think there's something about sort of physically going to a different space and sitting down in front of the TV with like a PlayStation or an Xbox or something. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're making a very active decision there where you're just like, this is what I'm doing right now. And there's nothing else that I can really do. There's something, with there's this. something nice. Yeah. There's something nice about that. Yeah. It's good. And really it's what we good. should do is just go back to those things we bought when we were kids. Those like single game. Oh yeah. yeah. Devices, <laughs> you know, where it's like the, the race I, car. I one, that, I yeah. There was that one in the, the Jurassic Park. Dr- one, yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, where you it's would like just it's jump pre-built. over things. Everything about it is is predefined, so you can actually see the faint outline of all the stuff that's going to light up. You know, yeah. Because uh, then, yeah, you absolutely can't do anything else besides play that game on that device. Yep, you're that's you're committed. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we got time for one last question, and we're going to aim on a crash li- uh, and end on a crash lens one, which comes from the Lime Wizard, which is. I like it. A phenomenal name. Be great at a margarita party. A lime wizard. Who asks, what is your favorite Crashlands creature, sentient race, or main character? Ooh. Uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite uh, my favorite race of the three available, well, I guess, unless you count Grubby, too. But we haven't really dug into him too much yet. So, um, of the three available, I would actually pick probably the ten the, or the uh, Polari. The four available because the Quadrupi are also. Oh yeah, the Quadrupi are in there too. Feature um, strongly. Yeah, I, I like the Polari quite a bit. Um, I think they have they have a lot of meat to their overall cultural stuff that we didn't get we didn't get to develop quite as much with some of the other races, mainly the Tendrom. Um, so they're they're a little they have a little more dimension to them than the other races, which I like a lot. I'm for me, it's the Quadrupi mm. as a so. Quad, yeah, the quadrupi as a race slash species. Uh, main character probably to choo choo. Uh, <laughs> he's such. Because he's, he's such just a, such a such a goofball. Slippery. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you can never quite tell the way it's written. You can actually. It's a little hard to tell exactly if he's actually being mischievous all the time, or you know, there, there's a little bit of uncertainty there, which I think is kind of a fun. Well, the the Brubus, they're very morally ambiguous. Like they have a a different code. That they live mm-hmm. by, which is they just want to move up in rank. Yeah, and right? then it's built on favors. Yeah, so it's and like a so, lot of favor swapping. Yeah, and so they'll they'll totally screw each other over or sabotage things or whatever because it's not about right versus wrong or good and evil or whatever. It's about moving up in rank. Yeah, that's exactly their, like, their whole thing. It's exactly like politicians in real life. Yes, <laughs> you know. which is what we based the Brubus on. Yep. So. Uh, uh, and yeah. then for favorite creature, I'd have to say, hmm. Snorbel. Snorbels <laughs> are pretty good. Snorbels are fun because they feel so like. They're nuts. They, well, they, just... But also they feel so unnatural because they kind of have this balloon feel to them. They float the context around. of They have the lower, bog. lower gravity than everything else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything is just, everything about it was just super weird. I have to, I think the shirk. I'd have to say shirks. Hmm. The great, white, the great white, the great shirk, shirk. the shirks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say I lean toward the glidopus as my favorite creature. Um, hovering electric cephalopod is awesome. <laughs> I kind of wish that we had explored their sort of elec- electrical nature a little bit more. Um, but you know, there's potential for that in the future. There's tons of games to go. Yeah. Um, I definitely like the Brubus the most as a race because they just fucking crack me up. Uh, just all of their, they talk a lot, but it's, it's always interesting. There's always, they're always doing something interesting, right? And the Polari, by contrast, they have an interesting culture, 
but they, but they are, don't really do anything interesting. They don't. Well, they don't have a lot of interesting conflict going on because they're all very cohesive, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the Brubus are are completely individualistic to the point where like every single Brubus has an infinite number of conflicts going on at any one time. <laughs> right. right. And there's always some shit to talk about. Um, they're more like humans. They're, they're, yeah, they're they're a lot like <laughs> humans. Um, and then a favorite character. I'd still probably have to lean toward Grandmammy just because yeah. <laughs> like the, the scene where, and this was great because I wasn't involved in the story writing. And so I got to see all this stuff, you know, for the first time fresh without any, no, like without knowing what was going to happen. And the first time Grandmammy calls on her, her old war buddies and there's just a fucking huge explosion. And then all these quadrupire around and like, apparently she's a, she's some, was some kind of big deal in like a historical <laughs> war thing. And it's just like, Oh shit. Like, uh, yeah, it's a little unexpected. Yeah, so Grand, Grandmammy <laughs> goes from being this sort of sad and lonely grandmotherly character just living out in the wilderness by herself to sort of like, you know, leading this war effort and just being a total fucking badass. And it's very subversive, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right, Although, cool. uh, but there's also Ramurl. I like Ramurl too. She, oh, yeah. She's a, she's sort of a, you know, a very one-off kind of a character, but I just like that whole sequence is the, the scene is of fabulous. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to spoil it. If people haven't played crash Lands yet, but <laughs> it's good it stuff. <laughs> All right. We'll wrap up the questions there and the podcast for today. If you have any questions for next week, you can get them in at podcast.bscotch.net or check out just all the rest of our stuff at butterscotch-narrigans.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye.